by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Welcome to the Passion Church. I'm Pastor Guy Sheffield. I'm glad you're here. If you're a, a visitor, we're glad that you came today. I hope you've been made to feel welcome. Yeah, give them a big hand for coming today. Go ahead and let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll get right in the message this morning. We'll start in verse 1. This is the prophet Isaiah. He said, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were six mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Can anybody attest to that? Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Father God, we thank you that you're still holy today. And even though we live amongst an ungodly generation, and we ourselves have lived in ungodly manners, you have touched our lips with the heart of Jesus Christ. You have covered us in his blood and you have removed our stain of guilt. You have forgiven our sins. And now you look to and fro across this land and you say, who will go for me? Who can I send? Father God, it is our prayer here this morning that by your Spirit, You touch our hearts and give us the courage to begin to say, here I am, send me. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, 
put me in, coach. <clears throat> Does anybody remember me saying that at the end of the service last week? I kind of got all worked up like I tend to do. And the music was loud, and we was celebrating, and we was praying, and it just came out of me. Put me in, coach. That was the cry of my heart. I didn't even know it was there. Put me in, coach. We're on our series. We're continuing on our series entitled 2017 on Purpose. Being intentional. That's the way we want to live our lives. That's the way we want to live this year. When I was a kid, how many of you said, be, uh, put me in, coach, when, I, when you was a kid, when you was playing on sports teams? I remember a lot of things about my childhood. I remember Evil Knievel on TV jumping that big Harley Davidson, you know, jumping all the buses or cars or over the fountain or he even tried to jump over the Grand Canyon. You remember that? Man, that got me so worked up, man. I had to go find a piece of plywood, you know, and lean it against something with my little huffy. <laughs> and all of us kids were doing it. You know, it didn't matter. We crashed and burned and messed up and skinned ourselves all up, came near to death two or three times. You know, it didn't matter because it inspired us to have courage, to see somebody else have courage. Right? And, of course, you all know I'm a big Rocky fan. When I saw that first Rocky movie as a kid, man, I ran outside. I jogged around the barn doing this number here. Had the Rocky theme going in my head, you know. I found some, some stuff to start lifting weights with. Man, I was, I was intent on getting in shape. I wanted to live an inspired life like Rocky did. And some of you may not agree with this, but as a kid, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. I believed in them, them boys that had that big helmet with the star on the side of it and had Tom Landry with his hat over on the sidelines, a man of integrity, had Roger Staubach quarterbacking. I'm talking those were the days, man, I could believe in something. I sent a letter, a handwritten letter to Roger Staubach. He sent me a signed autographed picture and a letter back. He was a man of integrity. We had people to look up to. Today, not so much. It, from there, it kind of sloped a little downhill towards Beavis and Butthead. Butthead. And you wonder, what happened to our children? Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, we know what's wrong with Chad. <laughs> Nowadays, we're somewhere, you know, in the Kim Kardashian, Marilyn Manson range. So you wonder what's going on in the world. But God hasn't changed a bit. He's still holy, holy, holy. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever i tell you one thing that drives me crazy about this generation. I can go to a basketball game, a football game, a soccer game, whatever they may be playing, and I can look over and I can see kids sitting on the bench while the team is out on the field. And I can see them over there laughing and hee-hawing and telling jokes, and, and they're not paying attention to what's going on in the game. They're just happy over there on the bench. All of them talking to one another. The coach walks by, and they don't even pay attention. When in my day, when I was sitting on the, the few times that I ever sat on the bench, I, I didn't sit on the bench. I was following the coach. Put me in, coach. Put me in. Coach, coach. I'll go in. Let me go in for him. He, he looks tired, coach. Let me in. I was begging to be put in. I wasn't going to sit on, over there on the bench crew and make friends. 
good sitting on the bench. I still do. To this day, I have nightmares about the couple times I sat on the bench. I hate it almost as much as I hate these empty purple chairs now. That is my passionate hatred right now because those represent souls that could be saved for the kingdom of God, could be put into the fight. But I can't stand. I mean, I remember one time that I was playing on a junior high football team and I was starting on the defense, but I wasn't starting on the offense, and I couldn't take that. While the team was out there in the offense, I wanted to play both ways. I'm following the coach. Coach, put me in. Let me run. I was like fifth string running back because, you know, I, like, I run like a 5 nine, 40 or something. You know, that, the, I would run and the line would beat me downfield, you know. But I still didn't care. Lord, uh, not Lord, coach, put me in. <laughs> I was probably praying through the Lord too. Coach, put me in. Let me run it. Let me run it. Let me try, coach. Finally, I don't know what got into the coach. He said, get in there, Sheffield, shut up. Run a 34 dive, you know, and I'm the three back supposed to run through the four hole, which is on the right side. I got out there, and I, was, I couldn't remember where the holes was because I had never practiced at running back. He said, down, said, hut. I went to the left, and the quarterback turned to the right, and the next thing you know, the quarterback is demolished. Coaches, get out of there, Sheffield. What are you doing, boy? Do you think that stopped me from wanting to get in the game? No. Later on, I made some great defensive plays, but all during the offense, coach, try, let me try again, coach. I didn't care if I failed. I wasn't afraid of failure as a kid. I just wanted in the game. You know, I played a couple years in college in baseball. And then when my usefulness, you know, when you kind of get older, you're in your 20s, you got to get a job and everything. I got a job, but I would always carry my cleats and, excuse me, my cleats and my glove in my trunk. I would go to the chicks games thinking, well, maybe lightning may strike four or five of them and they may need me. I mean, I was always hoping. My brother always teasing me. I'd come to his softball games. I wasn't even on the team, but I'd bring, yeah, I, get you, I guess you brought your cleats and your glove, right? Yeah. Sometimes I go to Josh's basketball games, a 51-year-old sitting up in the stands saying, I wonder if they put me in right now. Could I help them come back? <laughs> I'm not kidding. But today we have a generation that has grown up with participation trophies. Just for being on the team, they get a little trouble. You know what I would have done with a participation trophy? I would have took it and thrown it at the coach to get his attention. Put me in! I wouldn't care about a participation trophy. And you wonder why people clock in the church these days. They come in and they clock in and they sit there for their hour. They don't go to churches like ours that have to stay here an hour and a half. But they go to an hour-long service, and they think they've done God this big favor by sitting there. Particip but not participating, just being on the bench. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is there not a cause, I ask you? Is there not a cause? That's what David said. Little David, he's just a little boy. He's a, probably a young teenager. His dad sends him to the battlefield to check on his brothers. He gets there just in time to see this big old Goliath, this enemy, cursing the children of God, making all these taunts. He's like, what's going on? The grown men, the supposed warriors for God's team, are over there hiding and saying, get down, he might see you. And David is like, what do you mean? Send me over there, I'll fight him. God is on my team. God's with me. What's wrong with you guys? And one of his brothers come over. 
and said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be tending your little sheep. You're just making it. He said, what did I do wrong? Is there not a cause? And they started mocking him and stuff. He went to the king. He went to the coach. He said, coach, put me in. I'll take care of this. Man, God has helped me with the lion and the bear. I can take care of this guy. He says, you're just a little lad. This guy's been a warrior for, he's nine foot tall. There's no, but he was so convincing. His heart kept begging the coach, put me in coach. And God put him in. And what happened? God was with him. He's with those who will get in the game. 1 Samuel 17, 29, look it up. Is there not a cause? Is, I mean, is there not a cause? I think about Caleb. He was one of the two spies that came back with a good report. Joshua and Caleb. There was 10, 12 spies. The other 10 came back. Oh, man, they're, it's a beautiful land. It's filled with milk and honey and all the things that you promised. But, man, there's big guys in their walled cities. We can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their, our own sight compared to them. They'll kill us. But not Joshua and Caleb. Caleb said, man, it's everything you said it would be, God. It's, it's more. And I know you're with us, and I know since you're with us, we're well able to take it. Let's go in. Let's do it. Put us in, coach. Moses being the coach at the time. <laughs> but the other ten naysayers, no, we'd rather sit over here on the bench. We're talking about, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians or whatever over here. And so they, so Joshua and Caleb had to wander around in the desert with those other knuckleheads for 40 years because they'd rather sit on the bench than get in the game. Now, they, for 40 years, they were in the wilderness. Now, by the time they ready to go across, all those knuckleheads died off without ever entering into the promised land. But when, now it's time to go across. Caleb says, Joshua, you remember what God said to me in Joshua 14, 11, He says, I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. He may be blustering a little bit. If you want to get in the game, you, <laughs> you talk yourself up. I'm ready, coach. I'm just as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there. Those were the big giants. They had walled towns, but he said, this is the key. But if the Lord is with me, but if the Lord is with me, how many believes that we have a promise now in the Bible that says that he will never leave us or forsake us? That if we ask anything according to his will, we know he heareth us. And we, if he heareth us, we know that we have the petitions we desire of him. Forgive my King James English, heareth. He says, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. That's building a bridge of faith right there that he can walk over on. He's declaring what the Lord declared. He's setting down a foundation. If God be with us, who can be against us? Nothing is impossible to him that believe. Let's go on the cross. Guess what happened? At 85 years old, Caleb took his mountain. He defeated the, the Anak. took his mountain. There's plenty of excuses why we can remain comfortable on the bench. I mean, if, if comfort is what, you know, our gospel has become a gospel of comfort. 
You know, how, how can I get enough money so I don't have to work? How can I save up so I can retire? It's all about, where do you see the word retire in the Bible? As long as you're breathing breath, you're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God. That is why you are still down here, and he didn't zap you up the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. But some say, well, you know, I'm too young. I'm not ready yet. What about the little scrawny David, little teenager? He took down the giant, became king. I went and preached in the uh, children's church Wednesday night, snuck off in there and preached for about 10 minutes, wore me smooth out. You think I preach hard in here, boy? Them little kids get me fired up. I love back there. But my message was the same thing. It's not how big you are on the outside. It's how big you are on the inside. It's how big your heart is. It's how much you can believe. It's never been about us, about your strength. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, in fact. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Go on and be, let your foolishness show for everybody. Get in the game. Let him confound the rest of the world. Well, I'm too old, you know, I don't get around like I used to. Maybe Caleb didn't get around like he used to, but he defeated those, Anak. He took his mountain. If God's with you, you know, I preach at youth villages. Chad preached there yesterday, 27 souls saved, praise God. We tell those kids, God can use you now. Don't wait. We go to the nursing homes the third Sunday of every month. We go in there, we tell those people in wheelchairs, God's not through with you yet. If you can't talk, that's okay. You can smile. If you can't smile, you got a twinkle in your eye. Your usefulness will never be through. When your usefulness is through, God will bring you home, I guess. But until then, get in the game. Caleb knew that God was with him. He took his mountain. Ladies, let's talk about you for a minute. Turn to the book of Esther. It's in the middle of the Bible right before Job. The book of Esther. Does anybody remember Esther? It's hard to find. Come here, Esther. Hiding from me. All right. Esther chapter 4. Let me give you a little background. Esther, her only surviving family member is Mordecai, her uncle. They were part of the crew that was, uh, they were Jews that were, you know, they killed a lot of them and then they took the rest into captivity into Babylon. And so they were exiled into Babylon and then the Persians defeated the, the Babylonians and now we're three years into the Persian rule and the king of the Persians is this Xerxes guy and he get, gets into it with his wife and he bans her and so he's looking for a new wife and he sees this beautiful Hadessa otherwise known as Esther. She's a beautiful young woman. He ends up taking her as his wife, the new queen of all of Persia. Meanwhile, this king has this evil second-in-command named Haman. He's just a, not a good guy. He doesn't like the Jews because Mordecai won't bow down to him like everybody else. So he, 
he tells the king and he convinces the king to make a decree to kill all the Jewish people because they don't believe like us. They won't do what we want them to do. They're just a plague on society, sort of like the media tries to make Christians today. Let's just get rid of them all. And so the king, this guy's a little loopy. If you read the book of Esther, you realize this guy, he is a, a cannon ready to go off at any time. He signs the decree that on such and such a day, we're going to kill all the Jewish people. Well, Mordecai hears about this decree, and he throws a fit, man. He puts on his sackcloth, and he goes and sits in front of the palace, throws dust in the air and ashes, and he is mourning and weeping. And Esther looks out the palace window and sees her uncle down there, and nobody knows they're Jews. They've kept this quiet. Nobody knows they're even kin, and she's worried. If the king sees him out there acting like that, that guy's just batty enough. He'll, get, he'll kill my uncle. So she sends a messenger out and says, tell him to stop that. What's wrong with him? And so he tells the news, hey, they're going to kill all of our people. You need to do something. Tell Esther to do something since she's the queen. Esther hears, I, go tell him I, I can't. I the king is crazy. If you come in his presence without being bid, if you come into his presence without him asking, and he doesn't extend the gold scepter to you, you'll be dead. He doesn't play. He'll kill you. I can't do it. it, it and I ain't seen him in like three months, so I, I can't take that chance. So she sends word back to him. Then in Esther chapter 4, in verse 13, her uncle Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some, some other place. You know God's got a plan and you can't stop it. Even if you don't do your part, God will have to find someone else to do it. But you and your relatives will die. You know, if we don't do our part, we may not be killed physically, but we die on the inside. If you're not being who you were destined to be and called to be, you're dying on the inside. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this, ladies. Maybe you were made a princess for the Lord God for just such a time as this. Then Esther, I guess she thought about it and she sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. That's the heart we got to have. If it hair lips the devil, I'm getting in the game. If I got to die to... To fulfill my destiny, I'm fulfilling it. Esther didn't die, though. She saved the entire Jewish race. God gave her wisdom to speak to the king in a way that he understood. And the, and the tables were turned on old Haman, evil Haman. He was the one hung from the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. God can turn it. If God is with you, you have the victory before you ever step across on that bridge to get across. 
If you're following along in your thing, I wrote this. No matter our age, gender, or situation, as long as we draw a breath, we can never be content sitting on the bench. You just can't be. You only get one life. This is not a run-through. This is not a rehearsal. This is not practice. This is your life. And I, I know, I keep, I don't know about you, but I hear this, I, I hear this voice in my head. It's like it just keeps coming to me all the time. It's, it's, do you hear the voice? You ain't gonna believe this. But you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. Then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Pastor, why won't you just let us sit here and enjoy a good sermon and let us go home? Why are you always bumping into me and won't let me get comfortable? You're making me squirm in my chair, Pastor. You're... Why are you so goofy, Pastor? Why do you do the... Why do you get up on the... The platform and shout. Why do you jump up on chairs sometimes? Why you act a fool? Well, I've got an explanation for you. I want to show you a video. And as you watch this video, you'll recognize me in it. But don't just recognize me in it. I want you to listen to what is being said. Oh. What's going on, Mr. Voss? Biology, Derek. Fair enough. Can someone tell me what happens when a cell stagnates? Okay. No one's listening to me. I will try again. Anyone know what happens to a stagnant cell? What's he doing on the table? I don't know. Something about cells. Malia. It's not good. Did you hear that? It ain't good. People, 
A cell that is not in motion is not a productive member of the system. It ends up assuming all the other cells are gonna pick up the slack somewhere, but they don't. In fact, they imitate the stray cell until basically the whole organism begins to die. Yeah. But you know what, biology is an amazing thing. And here's the good news. All that decays can be restored. It's just hitting anybody. Like how a cut heals. Like how a cut heals. Brian, my man. Oh, yeah, you got one. <laughs> and once that cell is back on track, it creates energy amongst the other cells. That's what happens. It starts getting a little movement going. It gets a little rumble. Can I get a little rumble from everybody? Everybody just rumble in your seats right now for me. Just rumble a little bit. Okay, no rumble, that's fine. I'll be the lone rumbler up here. That's what I am. I'm a lone rumbler. But then the cell starts banging into the other cells. And the cells push back and go, hey, what are you doing to me? They hit him to another one. Hey, don't do that. Hey, that's my friend. You don't even know him. You don't know me either. I know you, we work together. Because then they hit a rhythm all hit a rhythm and this is the beginning of the restorative process so now even if the entire system is close to dead what happens martinez come on give me something oh no not today oh no not in my house no 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 look out here we come don't look up my pant leg derek you're better than that I'm right over you come on man what do you say if all the cells work together, what will happen? The entire system is healed. Exactly. That is a sick dragon. Yeah! Amen. So anybody got any rumble in the house? You see, when, when he started talking, nobody was listening until he got up on the chair, up on the table. Somebody had to begin the rumble. Did you hear what he said about a dead cell? Dead cells will sit there and think somebody else is going to pick up the slack. And so most of the churches in America today are filled with dead cells. Somebody thinking somebody else is going to do it. I'm just coming here to get mine. And they're thinking somebody else is going to do it, but nobody else is doing it. Because dead cells just attract other dead cells and cause other people to, okay, if they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. But if one cell will begin to rumble, what are you doing? Get off me. It may be uncomfortable first. Leave me alone. I don't want to move. I like, my, I like sitting here in the pew. But they begin to get a little energy themselves. And then they all begin to get in a rhythm. Get in a rhythm, and then the healing process begins to happen. All that was once dead and decaying is now coming alive. And all the past is put behind, and the future looks bright. And together, we begin to take this world for Jesus Christ. So are you going to be a dead cell? Are you, are you willing to do a little rumbling? Are you willing to look, make yourself a little embarrassed for Jesus I told you I'd share with you our 2017 goals, and we're going to share something beyond that, which I don't think 
I don't know if we've ever shared before. It just is coming to us. But right now, it's time to be intentional. Let's look at our 2017 goals. If you're a visitor here, um, bear with us. Um, if you don't have a church home and you're listening and it excites you, know that you're welcome to be a part of this. I've got 10 things that I wrote for our, our immediate goals for 2017. These are things that we're going to accomplish by the end of this year. First, we're going to keep our why in focus. Why do we do what we do? Why are you here today? Why, why do we do outreach? Why, why, what is the why behind everything that we do? Can anybody tell me his name? Jesus. That's right. We're not doing any of this because Pastor Guy said to or because a sense of guilt. or We do what we do because the love of God compels us to show him glory, to do what he asks us to do because his love fills us with love for other people that we can't sit by. Secondly, an emphasis on prayer and being more responsive to his voice. If you hadn't come to our Tuesday night passion prayer, something happening there. Uh, the last three weeks has been 16, one week, 17, one week, and 20 people in a church this size. That's almost a whole half of the church showing up for a Tuesday night prayer service. It's always been a vital part of what we do. We are a house of prayer. And we get, I get my messages from there. Oftentimes, our, our goals and visions are, are prayed out there. People are healed. There's gifts of the Spirit working. It's pretty awesome. This year, we intend to be even more awesome in the prayer and to be responsive to God's voice when he tells us what to do. Third, we want continued improvement in every, every department, continued growth and improvement. Last year, we set numbers. They were just arbitrary numbers. Nobody, unless God gives me exact numbers, I'm not going to say numbers anymore because that's just a wild guess. But, but if, if we can measurably tell, and there are measurements that we can see in each department, that each department is growing, uh, growing and getting better at what they do, then that's what we're looking for. Fourth, no one falls through the cracks in this church anymore. Uh, whether it be first-time visitors that we don't follow up on like we, we fail to do sometimes, or we, we're not following up on correctly, or we're not doing it right because we're not retaining first-time visitors at a rate that we should. But that also means members. Members that are coming here are hooked up and plugged up, and all of a sudden they begin to slow fade, and we don't recognize it until they're gone. And it's easy just to say, well, they left us. But love will reach out. And we've uh, instituted a new structure in our men's and women's groups, so there's captains of tens, so that everybody has a team leader that, that's caring for you and praying for you and taking care of you. Of you. And uh, we've done it already in the men's group. We're working on it in the women's group right now. We want to also develop better follow-up processes with our visitors in that process. Fifth, we want to increase our giving. Now, I, you know, I have not been one who harps on giving all the time, preaches a lot of messages, and uh, I, I know the sensitivity that people have. The church just wants your money, and the reasons people don't come to church, that's just excuses, you know. And a lot of people really believe that. But, but we have to be intentional about our giving, too. 
If we don't have the finances, we can't do the things we want to do to get to where we want to get to be what we want to be, as Rocky would say. Right? So we're not going to beg anybody or, or put any guilt trips, but we are going to be intentional about saying, hey, we got, to, we got to get the job done, so, you know, just a few people tithing is not going to carry us to where we got to get to. We got to have everybody understand, like Brother Tom was saying, you got to step out in faith and begin to do what God says to do. If we all do our part, then we wouldn't lack in any good work that we want to do. And the Bible says don't do that. Don't, don't lack. You, you don't have to. Number six, we're going to research and possibly implement a bus ministry. That's been prayed out. We're not sure if it's from God yet, but we're researching um, what it would take to do so. Maybe just starting with children at first. Um, we're in the process now of researching what the prices would be for five to ten acres of land on which we can build our own building. We rent this facility. We're, we're researching the prices for an expandable metal building to you know, that would give us a significant increase in size to start off with, but still be expandable as we grow in the future. Now, did I tell anybody we're moving this year? No, I'm saying we're, we're researching, trying to find out what it's going to take. And I can tell you in my heart what it's going to take. It's going to take us filling up these purple chairs before we move to some, these purple chairs to another building. And those finances coming in, that we'll be in position to move. But in, we're already starting the process. Pastor Vickers, my pastor, has already told me face-to-face -face that it's time that we get a place of our own. We've been here too long. Number eight, we're going to focus on our children's ministry. Why? Well, God told us to, and we love our children. Uh, we're going to develop more children's workers and teachers to prepare for the coming growth that we believe God's going to send. We can't just have enough teachers to teach the children we have now and say, we're ready. No, because if, if we were all of a sudden doubled and God wanted to begin to send children here, a bus ministry or something, and we begin to increase, we need to have way more children's teachers than we need. If that's in your heart to be, to be a children's teacher, raise your hand, Miss Anita. See, Miss Anita. She can't even raise her hand. <laughs> What'd you do? Throw something. Okay. We're, uh, not little things, we're going to try to redo the nursery this year, and we're going to try to send our children to, to children's camp this year like the, that the youth get to go all the time. It's not fair. Number nine, we're going to restructure the women's group like I talked about. And finally, the tenth thing that we're going to try to accomplish this year, I describe it like this, starting a love-fueled movement with legs. You know, love has legs on it. Love, in Jesus' terms, is a verb. So we're going to find local areas to have church-wide outreaches. We're still going to go back to O'Brien in the summer, which is not in our area, and we love those people, and we established a relationship there. But we're going to find local areas as well to do at least two more church-wide outreaches where everybody, every department is involved. Um, we're going to begin to teach evangelism classes, teach people how to share their faith, practical, down-to-earth, one-hour one classes where people hands-on get involved. We're going to begin to use our prayer team and our uh, outreach leadership. We don't have an outreach team. You're the outreach team, but we have outreach leadership that will begin to help teach uh, people how to share their faith. We're going to create a kingdom-minded congregation. You know, it's easy to be a me and my four no more mind, but really God, he saved us for a holy calling. You know, taking care of your family is just part of it. But it's not just your family. It's kingdom-minded, advancing the kingdom of God. 
The fields are white to harvest. So we're going to be motivating each other to be doers. We're going to graduate what I feel like we've been in basic training for the last couple of years. Um, and we're going to begin to be doers of the word. I feel like the last couple of years we've been working on the culture in here. You know, we had to change our image of who we see ourselves. We began to be a warm, fun-loving family, eager to reach out with God's love, a hospital of hope, and we're helping people, you know, pursue passionately uh, their true purpose in this life. So we're beginning to see ourselves, and, and I feel the culture has changed. Do you? I feel like we are, be we are becoming that. And so now it's time to focus more on the uh, reach out part, if you know what I mean. Put, put it into action. I had a prophecy I was going to read from you, read to you from uh, Paul Cooper. Paul used to go to this church when he was a kid, and, and uh, now he's a pastor. I can't remember what town he's in. Do you remember? Tulsa. He's in Tulsa. He's a pastor in Tulsa. He sent me this, a prophecy that the Lord spoke to him about our church. He said, this year is going to be a victory year. Victory in all caps. The number 17, meaning in 2017, in Hebrew represents overcoming the enemy and having complete and total victory. Salvation victory, healing victory, relational victory, marriage victory, supernatural victory. Mighty revivals are ahead for you. That's what I hear him say to you. Step on out, step on over, and step on through the victory he has for you. I said, that's good, brother. That's good. That's what we plan on doing. So, those are our goals that we want to accomplish this year, those 2017 goals. But what about a long-term vision? Well, I'm glad you asked. What do we see ourselves doing long-term? That's something I think we've, I don't know if we've ever had a long-term vision. I know we hadn't as the, as, as the Passion Church since we changed our name. So God is beginning to do a little rumbling in our hearts. Our prayer team's getting some little rumblings, and, and we're beginning to develop a long-term vision. This is a rough draft, and, and the leaders have been challenged to pray this out, and we're going to have to put legs to it and figure out how we're going to do it. But this is uh, what we have so far. Are you ready? Do you want to know what you're going to be a part of? We're going to plant passion churches all over the world. Oh, well, that's easy to say, Pastor. That's easy to say. But, I, but imagine... You're in a foreign country somewhere, and you got a friend that's down and out, and he don't know where to turn. You can go to him and say, there's a passion church at the end of the street. Why don't you go there? You know they'll love you there. You know they'll help you. He's a, yeah, but they're going to tell me the truth. You know, I'm not really ready for that. Well, okay, well, you can stay where you are, but if you ever, you know, they're going to work with you. You don't have to be right to go there. You can go there, and they'll work with you. I see the Passion Church as becoming like a franchise, like McDonald's. You kind of know what to expect when you go, go to a McDonald's, but we're going to be better than McDonald's. But you know what to expect. Now, I'm not saying all the Passion Churches will be the exact same, and, and they won't have the same pastors, and they might not even have the same exact culture. They'll, they'll be, but they will be genuine to the Word of God, 
They'll be passionate about what they do, and they'll be relevant in the society in which they live. They'll have their own culture, but they'll have our DNA. Does that make sense? Let me, let me, let me read it the way I wrote it. Not identical, but true to a common vision and core values. With the same heart. And it all starts with a small seed right here in DeSoto County. We will expand one church plant at a time. But we have to know who we are first before we can export anything. Right? How can you export something that you don't even know what we really are? So to get started, we must here at this location produce a product and develop a model that can be reproduced. Whether that's, that's our departments putting together handbooks of why we do what we do in the children's church, why we do what we do in guest services, and our overall DNA and who we believe Jesus is and our thoughts and our beliefs and our, our core values. Something that can be reproduced and then develop processes and develop people to be the future leaders, to be the future pastors of these churches. We have to develop processes to, to develop leaders, which I think we're doing with starting out good with the men's and women's leaders because there's team leaders being built. And there's more, op, or, uh, there's more need for leaders and structure in the church. And so we're going to begin to uh, be a, isn't that what a church is, a disciple factory? If you go to a Ford dealer uh, plant, you know, they come in, they got this assembly line, and they're putting all these parts together. When it leaves out the other end, it comes out a Ford car. Well, when you come into a church, Jesus says you come in the way you are, but you leave a disciple. And so we're going to begin to mold people into leaders. Disciples become leaders and disciple other people. We will go where God's Spirit leads. We'll have no ulterior motives. We will be humble and obedient in the process. Listen, low-cost, high-yield, modest buildings. We are not building great emphasis to ourselves. We're just, when we get a building, I hope you understand, we're not going for brick and mortar. We're probably just going to get a steel building, a place where we can get together to get the job done. We're not going to invest all our money in the temporary. There's going to be no superstar pastors. Well, there may be in God's eyes, but I'm talking about people that want to come here and build this mega church and say, look at me and my personality is, is what's building this place. No, there's going to be people with the same heart that we have to reach the lost. Nobody getting rich off the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody getting rich, just soldiers advancing the kingdom. I, I'll say probably not mega churches. We're not interested in just building big places where people can hide in the balcony, but probably community churches sent into strategic locations that need the love of Jesus. As we grow, as our finances grow, our people grow more uh, financially capable, we will begin to get heavy back into world missions. We will begin to train leaders to send into the world. And to go and then eventually plant churches, fulfilling Acts 1-8 where it says, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Isn't that what we're called to do? Is this biblical, do you think? It says, in Jerusalem, 
throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Well, Jerusalem would be starting right here in Horn Lake. Throughout Judea, when maybe throughout DeSoto County. In Samaria, might be like the church that we're planting right now in Nashville. But it might be another church that we plant in Detroit. It might be one over in Arkansas. We begin to plant them as God shows us. And they begin to grow all over the place. Each church using the model and developing leaders within it to plant other churches and to the ends of the earth. We want to impact this world as deeply as possible before Jesus comes back. Some of you are saying, well, I believe he's coming back next year. Well, we want to be found faithful doing what we knew to do in the meantime. Praise the Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I'll be all ready for him to come. But in the process, I want to be doing what he gave us to do. We'll win souls. We'll build armies to win more souls. We won't be ashamed to say we want to fill these seats. We won't be ashamed to ask for the finances needed to advance the kingdom. That's not it. I mean, I'm, I've, I lack in that area about asking for finances. I don't like to do it. I, God has blessed me with the ministries I've been in that's been well financed. But if we need finances, I will humble myself and ask for them. Our first step will be to fill the seats that we have now. You know, God gives you marks. He says, press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When you go to a bowling alley, if you know anything about bowling, you don't look all the way down there at the pins. You throw it, and it'll probably go in a gutter somewhere. But you have marks in front of you, and if you throw between the certain arrows, when it gets down there, it'll be on mark. And see, a lot of us will hear something like this and say, oh, that's too big, it's overwhelming, I'm not going to be a part, there's just a pipe dream. But God does things by marks. Our 2017 goals are our first mark. Next year we'll have another mark. We'll have another mark until things begin to compound more and more, increase, until one day you'll look up and you'll say, man, McDonald's don't have anything on the Passion Church. It's all over the world. How did it happen? So our goals for this year, our first mark, Early this year, I'm intent on beating records of attendance, beating records of giving. We're going to get excited together. I remember Pastor Paul had such exciting vision for the church, and he would share it with our leadership. And, and I would be so excited, I'd be ready to, to jump on a grenade for Pastor Paul. And then, but, but it never seemed to get to the people. I think he was waiting for the leadership to get it, and we never got it or something. But I, I believe firmly in being honest with you and letting you know the vision, the good, bad, and ugly. And so I want you to be excited, not just the leadership. That's why I'm bumping into you, getting my rumble on. This will take patience. It may not happen in our lifetime. If Jesus tarries and we all die off, this thing can keep moving. You know, you look at a small acorn and you say, you can't do nothing with that. But you plant it in the ground. And all you do is you water it, give it some sunshine, and God gives the increase. And you look around one day and there's this oak tree growing. And the next thing you know, it grows big. And begins to sh provide shade and places for the birds to hang out. And it begins to drop other acorns. 
And the next thing you know, other trees are growing up around. And the next thing you know, you got an oak forest. That is how we begin to see things. We are the acorn. We are the seed. We, in this church right here, have the DNA to take this world. If somebody will say, put me in, coach, we will begin to get in a rhythm together. God will grant the increase. We have just got to get out of the chairs and into the game, off the bench. Amen? I wrote this. When we have passion for God's house, when we grasp the importance of our personal calling, when we approach our responsibilities with gratefulness and a servant's heart, when we support each other, when we believe in our vision with our whole heart, when we love and care about souls the way Jesus did, what kind of congregation could we be? Wouldn't you want to go to a church like that? Can't we be a church like that? What is stopping us? This is our church. Stop being a dead sail and say, you do it, pastor. Somebody else, I just want to watch it happen. This is our church. This is your church. I've said that from the beginning. I can't stand if somebody says, yeah, I go to Pastor Guy's church. I hate that. I want them to begin to feel this is my church. Are you really happy sitting on the bench, those of you who know that there's more? Are you content on the sidelines of this epic struggle called life And when you were saved for just such a time as this? When you're here with purpose and destiny and you know it, you've been given talents by God. Talents, and you can't just dig them in the dirt. You don't want God to have to take away from you to give to another man because you won't do what he called you to do. Acts 13, 22 says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. He said, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? He will do everything I want him to do. It's all God's looking is just to be obedient. Man, if I was to begin to think the pressure of this huge goal on my shoulders, this vision, I couldn't stand up here for 20 seconds. But I know it ain't going to be me. I know I'm just pressing towards the mark. There was a, Tony Evans tells a story about a guy that went to the doctor, and he said, Doctor, I'm hurting all over. And the doctor said, touch your shoulder. He touched his shoulder. Oh! He said, so your shoulder's hurting? He said, yeah. He said, touch your knee. Oh, doc. He said, that is the strangest thing I've ever seen. So the doctor examined the guy. He realized the guy had a dislocated finger. <laughs> we can feel like everything in our life is hurting. Everything in our life is wrong, but in fact, it's just one thing in our life that is wrong. We're living a life without purpose. Man, when you put people into their God-given destiny, working towards what they were created to do, man, everything else, just the pains go away. (laughs) 
We're simply going through the motions, existing day by day, weighed down by the emptiness of a life without meaning. Benjamin Franklin, maybe you heard of him. He said, if you would not be forgotten as soon as you're dead, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing about. Jesus, he refused to sit idly by on the bench and watch, watch mankind slip over into eternity without him. The stakes were too high. He said, Father, put me in. Put me in, coach. I'm your man. He was intentional. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He started with a seed. Well, he started as a seed in Mary's belly. Just started with a seed, an acorn, if you will. He was born. He began to see himself in the scriptures. He began to understand that there's more to life. I am here with a purpose. He saw himself in the scriptures, and he began with just a few guys. He just called a few fishermen, one at a time, here and there. He didn't overwhelm himself. He didn't come, call the multitudes, and be disappointed and quit. He started where he was at, one guy at a time. Pretty soon, God began to show up in his obedience. Every step he took, God began to show up. He only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what the Father told him to say. He didn't overwhelm himself. One mark to the next. He pressed towards the mark of the, pri of the prize of the high calling of God as Jesus. We press in Jesus. He pressed as Jesus. But he did the same thing. He just did what he knew to do next. He just said what the Father said. He just built a bridge of faith, one brick at a time, and he walked over it. And it was Jesus Christ, not Muhammad Ali, that shook up the world. John 6.38 says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. In other words, that not one should be lost. Do you understand that Jesus couldn't bear the thought of heaven without you in it? He couldn't take it. He couldn't sit idly by and know that heaven would be without you. He was willing to come down from his glory, from his throne, to humble himself in obedience to the Father and even to obedience to the death of the cross. He didn't take what was rightfully his. He had his eyes set on the hope before him to endure the cross. He looked past the here and now, which is what we got to learn to do. You give up your life for Jesus' sake here on this earth that you may gain eternal life. This 70 or 80 years that we have here is but a breath, a moment. But it works for you, all your afflictions, all the problems that you're going through work for you a far greater weight of glory in the life to come. 
And there'll be people there that you shouldn't be able to, to live without. To think I can, all these people that are dying every day and don't know Jesus. I can't bear the thought of going to heaven without them not knowing I did what I was called to do. And don't you know that's where you find your fulfillment? That's where you find yourself? That's where you find... Some of you are struggling so hard right now with this message because comfort has got such a stronghold on you. And you're just like, are you saying I'm about to get out of my easy chair? I understand. I understand. Because I'm one of you. But in the end, God's not going to understand. Not when he gave everything. Could you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to give you a moment. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you hear this Jesus we're talking about, and maybe you don't know him. You may have even been baptized, go to a church. You may have even asked him into your heart one time, but nothing changed in your life. Maybe there was no repentance in your heart when you asked him to come in. Maybe it wasn't real to you. Well, God knows your heart. He knows when you're real. But if you'll be real with him, there's no demon in hell, hell that can stop you from being a child of God, to be translated out of the darkness that you're living in and to come over into the kingdom of his dear son Jesus and live forever. And be, because that's why he died for you. He couldn't bear the thought of heaven without you in it. So why would you fight against your Savior? The only one, the only bridge between your sin and a holy God. You're my one defense. You are my righteousness. God, how I need you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, but you want to, you want to receive forgiveness of your sins that Jesus paid for on your cross, would you raise your hand that I can pray with you? Anybody here today? listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.